We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And as you guys know, we are awaiting coaching news and announcement, and we have to wait for that to be official before we can release a pod on that. So that's coming, I promise. But with that announcement and with that news, we're going to be shifting on the pod back to talking more and more Lakers. Um, thank you to everyone who's stuck around as we've shifted over the last couple months to focus on the NBA playoffs. Um, I thought it was important that we focused as much as we could. This was an opportunity with the Lakers not being there to see the highest levels of basketball through a lens that we're not necessarily rooting for the team. In some ways, that's easier to see what's true and and, and what's not. And it seeing where the current conversation is in the NBA of what works and what doesn't, where the league is just going in general, I think has a lot of value as we enter this upcoming Lakers offseason, which has a ton of questions. And we have a lot of decisions we have to make that can go in a lot of distinctly different directions. So today's pod is going to be kind of about the, the lessons learned and just things that we've noticed over the course of these playoffs and in this exploration we've been doing of what the rest of the league is doing. So D, that's that could go in any number of ways with you. I'm just curious, from your perspective of us focusing on the league in general, what what are some of the things that have stood out to you from really focusing on this season's playoffs? Honestly, the league hasn't changed too much from when the Lakers won the championship. It's funny because the Lakers have fallen so far so fast that it almost makes it seem that when they won and when they were at the top of the league and when they were looking like and looked at. So they were looking like internally and looked at externally as favorites to win the championship. And they actually were favorites to win the championship last season and this past season. So the last two seasons that the Lakers did not win the title, they went in as preseason or at least betting favorites. I look back to the 2020 season, Mike, and I see that the Lakers had a formula in place that several other teams have used to 
and make deep runs into the playoffs. And, and, and so I found myself a lot of times looking at some of the teams that were playing well at any given time. And I saw remnants of a Lakers team that just won the championship. So like, for example, I looked at the Mavericks and what Luca was doing and I was just like, oh, my God, imagine if that team had Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of what Luca was doing reminded me of LeBron, especially in the half-court setting, right? I looked at some of what the Heat was doing in terms of their hunting of transition and hunting turnovers and ball pressure. And I was reminded of what the Lakers did in terms of their hunting of transition opportunities with with LeBron and their ball pressure focused scheme. And then especially when they went small, their ability to switch and a a lot of what the Heat was doing. Right. And, And so I don't know if I learned a lot, but I did definitely see the disconnect that the Lakers got away from, a, like a strategy that you see in different elements of several different teams that were super successful during the playoffs. And it makes me long for the opportunity for the Lakers to sort of revisit some of those same themes, Mike. I will shock neither of you by going to LeBron and AD to start with this as they return next year as well uh, as the core two for sure and watching these playoffs and just thinking about how they fit well the first thing is you cannot win playoff games if you're not healthy uh like if your two main guys are so like the celtics have had some guys not healthy but tatum and brown played every game dallas had some guys banged up luca um after he missed the first couple which they found a way to stay alive that was i think more on utah but they're losing that series if he doesn't come back of course right and not doing anything golden state got Steph and Draymond both back for this run. Uh, Phoenix looked even more vulnerable than they ultimately were without Booker. So before you go to anything else, and we're thinking about another potential playoff run, AD's got to be on the floor, obviously. And not just for, not just like come back for the postseason, but play the majority of the season with the team, you know, so that they can figure that out, that that mold around them. Um, I need to get my voice back healthy uh, so that I can actually pod well um, moving forward. That's right, Mike. We need you yeah. two to 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 get yeah, through the man. finals. Yeah. No, yeah. But Mike's talking about injuries, and here he is playing hurt, right? Playing exactly. hurt, yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, and then LeBron, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but he's going to be the tenth player to be playing his twentieth season. And how many games can he play with that? Even with his mm-hmm. phys- his level of the his body going into that season is better than anybody else's body physically going into their. 20th season that includes of course Kobe who had had the torn Achilles a couple of years prior that includes Dirk uh, that includes on and on down the list you know I need to mention guys like Kevin Willis right at that stage of their career or Robert Parrish so uh, that's he does have the better chance but that's super significant then in terms of how they play basketball though like if they're on the court they are still two guys that like they're not able to be taken advantage of on either end of the floor in a playoff setting, right? Like I get sure if you're going to run a million um, ball screens and Le- LeBron in the first, in, in the second game of the season, you know, maybe he's not going to give that full defensive energy, but so that's a great place to start as we watch all of these playoff games. And then it's more like Pete, just don't put the guys around them that are going to, that are going to, uh, that are going to detract from what the product can be with them. 
and that's again back to the Dallas model that, Dal- that Darius just mentioned, where you have a couple guys on the wing that defend, shoot threes, don't need to do too much. A couple of bigs who screen and roll, and or a smaller type of big who can be versatile and space out. Like just just check those boxes as they were checked the prior two seasons to this one, and and then you got a shot. One of the things you pointed out about LeBron and AD is that they're not the type of players that they have something that you could take advantage of on either end. And that idea of having a five-man group out there, like what you can take advantage of in those guys is really stood out. Like, for example, in the the Heat-Boston series, in that first game where both Smart and Horford missed – they isolated on Peyton Pritchard and Derek White with Jimmy Butler as often as possible. Now, both Pritchard and White for small guards in particular are pretty good defenders. But at some point, like that's Jimmy Butler, who's going to make everything from like 12 feet and in against a smaller type of player. And so what I didn't see were players like Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk. Guys like that that fit that type of player type on the floor in higher level basketball games. And that plays to your point, Mike, about having not only LeBron and and AD can't be taken advantage of, but I refer to these players as entry points for offenses, right? It's like, yeah, you're not going to target LeBron. You're not going to target AD. But if Malik Monk is on the floor or Carmelo Anthony, there's the – the defensive end of the floor is really where my like lessons learned and like the it gets zeroed in at the heart of that discussion right there is kind of my whole Caruso Lou Williams argument right yep. like come postseason come big games like who you can really have out there that the other team isn't just going to abuse um, and who can hold up and, and being able to hold up at the highest level like conference finals finals uh, that list gets dwindle quickly. It, it it really does. And I think the specifics of what you have to do on defense, D, is really more of the color that got that got filled in for me over yeah. these playoffs in that you you have to be able to defend the perimeter. I always talk about the conversation that's being had across the league is I feel like this is a little bit simplistic, but just roll with the starting point if you can, is that Golden State said, hey, we're going to make you defend the entire perimeter, all five spots on the floor, there's going to be a threat out there. Even Draymond might not be a great shooter, but his ball handling ability, his ability to pass and all of that means that you have to defend on the perimeter. And so certain players like Dwayne Dedman, for example, in that last series, he's perfect example of like a responsible adult backup five. He's going to play hard for you. He's going to box out. He's going to rebound, make the correct play, play hard. But that half step being a half step too slow. We even saw this with DeAndre Ayton. Those type of guys, they start to kind of fade from the rotation in playoff series. And then on the other end, if you're a little too small, if you don't have the strength, you're going to get picked on at these levels of basketball in ways where even if you are good and play hard, you know, that can be targeted. I think the finals are fascinating in that respect because we actually do have four smallish guards to kind of test this theory between Steph and Poole and and White and, and Pritchard to a lesser extent. But those are the things that really stood out to me, D, is that like that idea that you can't target really anything on LeBron and AD, the closer we can get to putting five out there defensively, just defensively, where it's like there's no real obvious place to attack. I think that's the easiest way with the assets that we have available between the MLE and and the uh and and uh vet minimums and all of that. But obviously the Russ Russ's situation factors into that. But that was the main thing that that really stood out to me. So let's take a break and when we come back, D, I'd love to hear your response to that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I agree to a point. You mentioned Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole's not going to be eliminated from a playoff rotation. When you were talking a lot um, about this concept right now, the name that jumped out to me too was Tyler Hero. Now, I thought the Heat missed Tyler Hero a bunch, right? And he he's like Poole. Hero won six man of the year. I would argue that him and Poole were probably the best candidates or top candidates for that award as well. You can have one of those players, one. And that player has to be, if not elite offensively, he has to have real punch for you and be a focal point of what you're going to do in half-court offense. That player needs to be a three-level scorer. He needs to be able to handle the ball. He needs to be able to create an isolation, run a pick and roll. He needs to have the full package offensively. Right. That's the level of guy that he needs to be. And and then that guy also has to at least take on the spirit of what your coaches want defensively and at least compete out there to a baseline level. Right. Which is where I thought Lou Williams lacked a lot. Now, Poole has gotten closer there. I don't think he's all the way there yet. And if he shows some of the tendencies that he showed earlier in the playoffs in the finals, Kerr's going to have some decisions to make about like, oh, well, maybe I'm playing Otto Porter more, right? And I'm just playing bigger, bigger lineups. So you can have one of those guys. And that's a lesson that I think the Lakers need to take to heart. They had too many of those guys, right? And the guy who closest approximates a pool or a Tyler hero is Malik Monk and Monk's not as good as either of those players on offense. Now he can reach certain heights and he can have one of those nights or two of those nights, like out of a 10 game sample, he might have four nights where it's just like, Oh, look at Malik Monk. He's, he's four for nine from three and he got you 25 points. And he made strides defensively, but not to the level that you're seeing are needed at this level of the playoffs, Mike. And then guys like Carmelo and other guys, like they don't have enough in their offensive package at this point to be able to say, like, we can survive with you out there. And having more than one of those dudes on the court at, at any given time, you can't do it at all if you want to be a deep playoff team. I, I might take Monk over Hero offensively. Uh, but that's that's a whole nother 
I just not. I just don't love the how little hero gets the hoop. But that's the, I'm already getting distracted from the, uh, a point that I want to get to though. Like with Darius, I think you're right that you're not going to eliminate a guy of Pool's talent, for example, from a playoff series. But you might go with a different guy for the game six, game seven, or you yeah. know, crunch time type stuff. And like that makes a difference, right? Where where whether it's Otto Porter or even if it's Gary Payton the second. I mean, in the sense of Boston, they don't have they don't have to go like their best five doesn't have a defensive weakness, right? Since Marcus Smart is guarding up um, at the one, and they can have Derek White in there, right? If they don't, because Pritchard, like you could put Pritchard in spots, but he's never going to be your first choice for the closing five. Pool might be your first choice for the closing five in a certain matchup, but if the other team is predatory, you know, you could see a coach like like Frank Vogel, right? Uh, is definitely going defense there. And a lot of coaches are like that. Spo is probably going defense there, you know, where, uh, where he's got, like he even had, you know, Gabe Vincent. And again, this is with banged up hero. So that remains to be seen, but I'm curious, both your thoughts on that. Like if, if you've got a, how much do you extend that type of thing? Okay. This is the guy that if it's all, everything's on the line, game six defense, trusting versus maybe this is that whole regular season versus playoff thing. You know, like the guy that kind of helps you get through the 82, but like the guy that you really trust that isn't a weakness is going to be has to be on that roster, too. It's somewhat tied to our available assets to get better. Right. And so with if if Russ stays and we'll see what happens with that. But between the MLE, it, we have the MLE and then we have our vet minimums. And so if they're if we're looking to sign anyone that is kind of the get us through the season help us like get to the finish line but maybe not huge part of the playoff rotation then that's a vet minimum guy by definition under our current circumstances to me you know and so that could change if if say russ gets exchanged for depth or something like that but i it under our current circumstances i really think that 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 player really needs to fit that description you know what i mean so like the mle you know well, can't might be too strong a word, but ideally wouldn't be used on someone that isn't one of those. Yes, I'm cool with him being on the floor in crunch time. It yes. absolutely should not be, Mike. Like, no, like I'm going to speak in absolutes here. Like you cannot use any of the resources that you have available that are non-minimum resources and and basically say I'm targeting a, d- a dude who cannot play crunch time in an NBA playoff game beyond the second round. Like, because that's a misallocation of resources at this point, if your goal is to win the championship, if the Lakers had more depth on their roster, if they hadn't given away Alex Caruso, if they hadn't decided that they were basically going to make the choices that they made, right? If they could have held on to one of KCP or Kuzma, if they could like, there are so many different paths and factors that went into play and so i'm not going to go back and like say oh well i had it right the whole time or anything like that but it's like the lakers sacrificed almost all of their meaningful two-way depth in order to build the roster that played last season and that roster suffered catastrophic injuries and then on top of that didn't really seem to have the right mix of skills within their reserve minimum players in order to coalesce in a way that was going to get them to the point that we see the last two teams standing are to get them to that point now. And so when refocusing and building out this upcoming season's roster, 
take lessons from this year's playoffs, of course, but also take lessons from the team that you built just two seasons ago that actually won the NBA championship. Now, building that roster was years in the making. They had draft picks in there. They had invested years of development into Kyle Kuzma, into KCP, into Alex Caruso. And those dudes were on the floor. Several of them were on the floor in key playoff moments, right? Like in order to win the championship. And so I don't think you're going to recapture that in one cycle of of an offseason build. But you better be targeting those types of players, guys that you know can play at that level or at least think can. and not put that burden back onto LeBron and AD to be like, okay, well, we're out front now because, Mike, all the stuff that you said about LeBron and 20th season and AD and health, those things need to be at the forefront of the conversation now rather than, oh, well, worst case scenario, like that's a problem because we've seen too much now. A lot of that is the rationale behind why I would like to split the MLE up amongst two or three players. I think that the types of guys that we could be targeting are guys who are vet minimum, like between vet minimum and MLE guys. And there are always vet minimum guys who are deciding between a couple of teams at some point and being like, hey, we could offer you two and a half million or we could offer you you 500,000 or a million more than the vet minimum to two or three guys, I think that that that's my, my question for you guys is when I watch these playoffs, I'm like, we have like two, maybe three dudes who are playoff rotation players on last year's team. Like even a lot of the young guys coming back, you know how much Austin's going to get targeted in the playoffs due to strength? We saw this during the regular season. Teams being like, we're going to drive right at you. Now, he's got a whole bunch of skill and understanding that I think he can get there to play off rotation, but he is absolutely going to get targeted and in those higher and higher rounds of the playoffs by uh, due to strength disadvantage. And so, like, where are you guys at on just like just bodies? Like, I think that the, the closest way to get there is guys who can defend those D and three players. You always talk about Mike that they, they tend to not be terribly expensive. Um, like, can you hit a standstill open three? Are you, do you have credible size? Can you defend? That's like 80% of it for me. So when we come back uh, from, from the break, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the, the roster building and I guess the taking what we saw last year and comparing it to two years ago and the guys that are available. One thing I always think is important to consider is that the so for free agency when it starts and yes, it seems that some teams will have some conversations before the actual uh, no. free agency period starts. No, no. but but that's until not, you get legal, Mike, that's not no, legal. Here, do that, Mike. Exactly. And here, but here's what happens. The agent has conversations with multiple, with many teams. Okay. So the team, even if you have a conversation, a guy could give you a promise. Yeah. When free agency comes and then, then it comes and and dude goes somewhere else. Okay. So then what? So you really have to have the spreadsheets out. And so it's not, it is not, it is like a, it's like a test, but it's a test where the questions change uh, Mm. often. Mm. during this during this quick period and i think that's where if the way that the three of us are are talking about this there's there's like a pool of players right 
and I and I know this to be true because Pete has sent a list. Um, and, and, it's, and it's like, I can't, I can't talk about it on the pod. So yeah, you yeah. guys get my, like, here's my top 25 free no, agents. Yeah. And I, I've got, I've got a similar list, right. And it kind of changes, sure. it changes every week. And, <laughs> but there are guys that I just won't even have on there, but then here's the, here's the, here's the thing. A lot of these guys, right. That are on your list that are on my list that are on Darius's list, which are, I think pretty similar, right? Like we mm-hmm. might have guys bumped up a spot or two For sure. and, and there are a lot of really, really smart NBA, NBA, uh, people in the NBA, of course, and all these teams now. You don't have any front offices anymore that don't have at least like a couple of real brainiacs that know the league, that know personnel, that know scouting. Uh, that's, that's uh, well, maybe a couple of teams, but not, but very few. And so let's see that every team has 30 guys on there. Definitely want this guy in here. Definitely could be part of the rotation. Well, that list starts to get chopped real quick. And then to the point where they're, they're not going to be a 15, there's not going to be 15 players on next year's roster, given what the salary structures are, LeBron, AD, and Westbrook's right. 47, if he's on the team, that can possibly get to what the three of us, um, at least I don't, I don't think so. Maybe you could get really lucky, but there are going to be some weak spots, I think, and some guys that can oh. only hold up on one end of the court. And so can you get enough though, right? Can you get enough? Um, and can you prioritize? That's what we're just talking about with the um, with the MLE. But even asking a guy to take like a little bit, a little bit less than the MLE when he can get the MLE from a couple of other places. So it's sure. just a, no, that's not going to happen. It's a tricky yeah. little yeah. It's a tricky little song and dance. And, and I think that we just have to be realistic that it's going to be difficult uh, this year. What well, one of the things to have a, a, a little more of a positive spin on it. I think these playoffs, and this usually happens, teams are dwindling down to seven-man rotations. Boston's been doing that for a minute now, playing basically seven guys. And so that's the old NBA saying, D, is that like, you know, play seven, uh, trust six, and bring it home with five, I think is it's it's something along those lines, right? And so in that respect, you don't need to have 15. Now, it is important that the back end of the roster is populated by guys who can actually play when someone goes down with injury and get you through the 82. And I think in some senses, who knows if Austin and, and Stanley and Wenyon and but I think those guys represent that that part of the roster that and I even think Stanley could be an eighth man type of guy. I think that he's gotten better as a player and especially as a role player, he's in a different role than he's been for most of his seasons in the past. But that's a projection. But like you don't need 15, you need seven that are really good and then a few more that can help get you through. So that that's some uh, some cause for optimism, I think. It is. It is. The question that I have that is an unanswered question at this point is, what is the standing of the Lakers in the eyes of the people who have to make the choice on whether on what team they want to play for? Mm-hmm. And that's an unknown question at this point. Do you think that fell off this year? It did. I know yeah. it fell off. Yeah. It fell off for me. Sure. <laughs> and I'm just some dude. And, and I'm just some dude. And you're rooting for him. Yeah. Yes. And and I have their best interests at heart. And I yeah. want them to win every single game and on and on and on and on and on. And so, like, the Lakers already found themselves in, in a bidding war last offseason. Right? Like, it was them. It was the Warriors. It was, to a certain extent, the Heat. And it was the Nets. And guys went to the Nets, guys went to the Warriors, and those were players that I would have liked to have had, 
right? The Heat ended up deciding they were going to go the Lakers 2020 route, which is like, hey, you know what? We got some dudes on our team already that we think can step up, right? We got this Max Struess fellow. People don't know who this dude is, but we think that he can play. We've got this Gabe Vincent dude. We think that he PJ can play. Tucker, well, right? Yeah, but they did and, get but but PJ Tucker is a dude. They did get they and did get Tucker there. That was they did one. get Tucker. And so this is where I'll go back to the idea of what's your standing in the league, right? So heat culture, hashtag heat culture. We laugh at this. We laugh at it as like outsiders, right? In the same way that outsiders laugh at Lakers exceptionalism. I, I like heat culture. It's no. built by Riley. It very much fits my ethos of basketball. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's one of those things that that like it gets brought up so often that like sure. people want to mock it, right? Like you oh, roll your heat eyes at culture, it. right? Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in a similar way to like Lakers exceptionalism, yes. right? Like, no, or, yeah. totally. that's my point. Yeah. Totally. That's, yeah. that's exactly my point. And that, but there are a certain batch of players who are going to identify with that thing. With that specific thing, right? Yep. And so there are players that are like Lakers exceptionalism. Sign me up, Malik Monk. Like, oh, the Lakers, the Lakers want me. That's my jam. Yep, I'm there. The bright lights, LeBron, AD. Yep. Right, all those trophies. I'm with it. PJ Tucker is like heat culture. Dive on the ground, right? Like road rash from all the freaking from, from all the times that i'm just scooping up loose balls and boxing out and and like you you know like south beach okay these are my people yeah <laughs> right like i found my clan jimmy butler kyle lowry yeah. those are my dudes and so you have to sell what you have but those things those things can start to diminish over time if you don't curate properly Right. And and if you struggle some, Mike, and so I'm just wondering where the Lakers are at. And I don't have an answer for that. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm pessimistic to so pessimistic around that that idea. But it's an open question that I think is going to matter when, like you said, every team has their list. And there's a bunch of those dudes that the Lakers should want that are in the middle of that Venn diagram of all of these other teams, too. Well, so this is where I I'm hopeful that my kind of insider outsider perspective of coming in to the Lakers from outside hopefully mm-hmm. lend some value here because I still think that the Lakers are all always going to be more attractive um, than than it might appear right to some that are just here watching the day-to-day watching the games watching a bad season and I was listening to Tim Connolly's press conference yesterday it got introduced in Minnesota and somebody asked a question about you know like how do you get players to come here and he was just honest. He's like, look, it's a, it's not an advantage for us. The coastal cities. And it's it's just true. Like, even if you have a yep. great basketball situation in Denver, an up and coming one in Minnesota, like all these places, most guys are still going to in most I think we can use. They're still going to take a look um, at those traditional desired places more for a reason. And I think to to inject now my own element of optimism into this from a Lakers perspective. When, if you take a minimum deal somewhere and you're a vet, especially if that place isn't necessarily a playoff team or if they're a bubble team, guess what you're going to run into young guys who have to play like young guys, mm. draft picks, mm-hmm. first round picks, first round picks from a couple of years ago, you know, take like yeah. a, a Sacramento or something like that. Or now, now that's a little different because that's not going to be necessarily a destination. But take even a Chicago uh, or like some place that's like a big city, big market. Like Knicks. if you go to, um, yeah, even the Knicks. 
Like you're, they've got dudes that have to play and be developed there. You know, Lakers don't have that. It's like you, if you come here, you might start and play 35 minutes a game next to LeBron and AD. So yep. that to me is the, if it's not, if the money is, is comparable enough, and this is where we're getting in between sort of mini mid-level, full mid-level, like some guys like, no man, 8 million compared to 4 million or whatever. Like that's not, I can't do that. But other guys are going to be, well, hold on though. If I can, if I can start and yep. to get, and you get, you get into a little danger zone here though, of promises, like we, we can get into the whole Harold thing, but but that's sure. the that is a way for the Lakers to get more bang for their buck uh, this specific season. It's it's impossible to go under the radar when you're with the Lakers, and so if you have a season like Malik Monk did in an otherwise really crappy season, you probably get yourself paid. I I don't know what he's going to make, but I doubt it's going to be the vet minimum this year, and that opportunity that you're speaking of Mike to start to play big minutes on a team that doesn't have that has is very top heavy that. Is a real thing, I think, D, right, between the opportunity you're going to have and the stage that you're going to have to to play on. I do think that that has a level of attractiveness. But to me, that is more of a younger career player that is looking for their next contract um, rather than a, an older player that wants to win now. I think that we would want a mix of those, right, that I, I, we're not going to get back to where we want to go with a bunch of young guys that can run the floor and during the regular season, it looks great. But then playoffs that, you know, you, you find yourself in some tricky spots if you don't have enough vets who have been through it and had the experience. So like kind of where, where do you stand on that idea that the Lakers – offer some degree of opportunity with by virtue of the way the roster is constructed that should have some appeal to to uh to players that uh, as a stage to illustrate their talents so i do agree and i'm hopeful that that's i'm hopeful that that's true right um it was true for kendrick nunn for example right um and it was true for malik monk right and then the Lakers went with guys like Dwight Howard. Okay. Carmelo Anthony. Okay. Right. And then it's sort of like, okay, well, what's next after that? And the question that I have is in a competition for a guy like Otto Porter, for example. So, Otto Porter, I don't expect you guys to get into players who play on other teams, but Otto Porter's a dude on my list. He was a dude who was on my list last offseason, and he signed with the Warriors for the minimum. And a guy like Otto Porter, in theory, you could tell Otto Porter, hey, Otto Porter, you, you play. Now, maybe this is a bad example because his team is in the finals and they may win the championship, but let's just say, hey, Otto Porter, you play... 18 to 22 minutes a night for the Warriors. Sometimes you close, sometimes you don't, right? You, you're an important player. You're a rotation player. For the Lakers, you might be a 32-minute player, and you're probably going to close every single game, right? If the money's exactly the same, my question is, there's going to be scenarios like that where it's just like you pit the Lakers against the Warriors, you pit the Lakers against the Heat, you pit the Lakers against the Nets, and where is their standing in that hierarchy, right? And if you're talking about the money's going to be close to the same, the role is going to be close to the same, and in the end, what's it going to do? Because like, I agree with, I, I agree with the premise 
that you guys have laid out. But I think that's more true. That's more true when you're going from like the eighth guy in the rotation and turning him into the fourth or the fifth guy in the rotation, right? Versus like the ninth guy in the rotation and you're telling him you're going to turn him into the seventh guy in the rotation. And it's just like, well, whoop de doo Basically the same thing, yeah. Yes, right? And like the scale in which that's going to matter because look, these other teams, they have great players too, right? Like- like they they may not be LeBron and AD, but we love LeBron and AD. They're on the team that we root for. But I guarantee, if you're in Dallas, you're like, well, I love Luka Doncic, and if you're in Miami, you're like, I love Jimmy Butler and and well, and Kyle Lowry. And if you're in Brooklyn, you're like, I love Kevin Durant, right? You might even love Kyrie Irving. And so, like, I want to get out of the idea that like I like. I want to promote the Lakers because I think that the Lakers do have all of this opportunity and and all of this stuff too. But I think one of the things that we that we should have learned last offseason is is that other teams are great, other teams are trying to do great things too, and other teams are offering opportunity and similar money. And and it's going to be a tricky thing, and that's why I was talking about like what is the Lakers standing in the league right now, and and how are they viewed, and and those are things that as we get to July first, like you want to make sure that the Lakers are as well positioned as they can be, and that's going to require some image rehabilitation, I think. As you were talking there, Darius, and it it got me thinking back to one of Pete's earlier questions in the podcast, just about watching all these playoffs and thinking what, what applies for the Lakers. And I'm thinking about Anthony Davis again. And when Anthony, so he, he might not have his best game every night, but in a postseason series, right. Where you need that night for sure. Four times. Like when he goes to that top level and just thinking about the havoc that he wreaks on defense and his jump shot might be not be falling one night, but then, you know, he can, he'll get into that aggressive mindset, get to the rim, get fouled. Like that remains just such a devastating weapon alongside a creator like LeBron that that to me is also part of the cell in, Hey, like we, we, I wasn't on the floor last year. We knew, but like, we're not as far away as it seems. It's yes. just, the Westbrook question, though, does have to be answered. And that to me yes. remains kind of the impediment to how you how this team is viewed, not just externally, but internally. But it's just we just we can't forget the dominance um, of of A.D., what they did in 2020 and then being up two to one on Phoenix behind two monster games from A.D. Right. Like those those things happened. You know, they just happened shortly, shortly ago. And to try to get it's you're not going to be able to get the full scope of the type of role players that they had. But you can get, I think, to Pete's point enough right of them to where you get into a series. And even if it's just keeping your head above water more and staying like early in the season and not falling down and not losing to yep. the OKC's and Houston's. Yep. And then the trade deadline comes. And even if you do have some contracts that are difficult at that point is a place to unload without giving up future first right and then you're getting so there there's just it's it's not easy to see exactly how it works out but it it has to be pursued with with the anticipation that they can put the, enough pieces together you know riding that lebron and ad train and i think they can and i think and i think that 
health obviously is central to all of that, but it's I don't think we're as far as we're as far away as it feels. But the Westbrook question not only determines how the the team is viewed. I think even by free agents and just externally, but it, I think it really determines how the Lakers will play. That was a real central part of my argument last year. It's like, once you trade for West, Russell Westbrook, you have made yourself a particular type of team. And there's a good argument to be made that you have taken a lot of the versatility away that comes with having LeBron and Anthony Davis, where you could be this type of team or that type of team at this time. No, no, no. Once you trade for Russ, like you really have to accentuate what he's good at because what he's bad at is going to be there. It's going to be there. And so if you want the best version of the team, you got to get the best version of Russell Westbrook. And so that I, I know we always push back against that D, but that idea of like if if he stays here, that is yeah. still going to be true. Yeah. If he's traded, we could be a bunch of different types of teams. Now, we'll see if that's better or that, that we can get back to 2020. It depends on what the trade is. But sure. to me, that is the next big question that determines a whole it knocks down a whole bunch of other dominoes. It is. And so we haven't discussed it on the pod yet, but the Lakers will have a head coach named right officially at some point in the next who knows how many days or whatever. The next move is the Lakers don't have a draft pick. Right. And so the next move after that is basically moving into the realm of decision making time around Russell Westbrook. Russ has his own decision to make about picking up his player option. Right. right. And then it comes down to what are your ideas about building out a team and bringing it back full circle? The thing that you haven't seen a lot of in the last two rounds of the playoffs, the conference finals and now the finals is like. Guys of Russ's type. And so when you're talking about lessons learned from from these playoffs, I haven't seen a lot of non shooting power guards. Right. Mm. Like Jimmy Butler was it's probably your best case scenario, but he's a dog defensively. He yeah, is if six they do, foot they seven. Marcus yes. Smart, like, and he's gotten much better as a shooter, but like, like you've got to be able to play defense if you're that's getting, exactly that's part right. of the power part. That's, yeah. that, that's exactly right. And Jimmy Drew Holiday. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and, and so those players exist, but they skew their game in a totally different direction than what Russ has. And we go back to those same conversations about what is Russ capable of doing? How adaptable is he? If last season was the first sort of test case of that, like that wasn't a very good outcome in terms of how adaptable he actually is. And and so those are considerations that also need to be in place now when the Lakers are making decisions about what their team is going to look like next season. And what are the lessons learned, not only from their own season, but that the postseason has imparted on them. And so I'm interested to see what direction they go. Yeah, likewise. All right, this has been fun. We're going to be talking more and more Lakers uh, going forward. We'll still cover the finals games and, and, and whatnot, but it'll be fun to tune the dial a little bit back toward the Lakers. All right, we'll be back soon. Um, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA final.
Doodles record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.